the beginning of chapter three today in Colossians. And so that's super exciting because we're already in chapter three. You know, if you're joining us for the very first time, we want to welcome you. We want to say that we're very glad that you are here today. This is week eight of our series entitled Little Church. Big Christ. We've been working through this letter, obviously blazing through it, this letter that apostle, the Apostle Paul wrote to a little church in Asia Minor called Colossae. And that little church has been the recipient of some very big news about who Jesus is and what he has done. So before we dive into that, let's pray together as a family. Lord Jesus, thank you, God, for this day. Thank you for another time that we can come together and worship you uh, through song, uh, through the presentation of the news of how you're working all around the world, even in in the hearts of lost people, God. Uh, We pray that as we get into the message today and we are hearing the uh, commands that are a response to the great work that you have done, that you would reinvigorate the truth of who you are, Jesus, in our hearts today. And for those that don't know you, God, I pray that they would see you in a big way, Lord, so that what we do would be a response to what you have done. Bless us as we get into the word. May it be glorifying and honoring to you. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So like I said, uh, last week we talked about these two concepts of Christian freedom, right? I I had told you that uh, Christian freedom is both freedom from the dominion of sin, right, Uh, from the powers of this world, but it is freedom to a life that serves God and his people. And so while we're definitely going to be going through that second part, last week was all about how we have freedom from the dominion of sin. Well, this week we are going to be talking about how we are free to a life that serves God, but we're going to do so through a very specific lens because it's what Paul does. It's actually really cool. As we are getting into chapter 3 and we get through the first four verses and we notice that he is reminding us of the source of the change that happens in our lives as Christians, what we are going to notice is a series of concentric circles that Paul builds out to help us understand just how that radical change lives itself out in our lives today. See, first today, what he's going to tell us is that there is a change that happens individually in every single Christian. Something that happens in us that radically changes our behaviors internally in our minds as we perceive the world around us. Next week, what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about how it directly affects every intimate relationship of our lives. Every husband will know how they relate to their wife. Every parent will know how they relate to their child, every master with their servant, and so on and so forth. But then in the third week, something really cool happens. See, Paul expands out that circle to help us understand how the radical change that Jesus makes in our life helps us to interact with the world around us through prayer and through deed. Friends, it's like a, like a raindrop hitting still waters. As soon as it makes impact with that water, the ripples just go out to the furthest corners of the lake, doesn't it? God does a work in our lives and it leaves a ripple that creates these various circles that God is calling us to interact with in his name. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And I hope that you are very interested in understanding, church, what your place is, right? You want to know how to improve your marriage? You want to know how to be an effective parent? You want to know how to, how to deal with those rapscallions at work? I love that word, rapscallions. Maybe you are the rapscallion, and you need to know how to stop being a rapscallion three times. 
Well, you better listen up. We're going to take notes. It's going to be great these next three weeks. Let's start with Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 17. Grab scallions. If then you have been raised with Christ, <clears throat> seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not the things that are on this earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them away. All of them, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but all, Christ is all and in all. Put on then as, God chosen, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if you, one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's some good stuff. We're going to break that into three parts. We're going to build it into one complete thought, okay? So as you're getting my points, I want you to understand we're building one sentence. So it's going to make sense by the end. We'll break it apart a piece at a time. So let me give you that first point for today, the first part of that sentence. It is this. Your course is set for the things that are above. Your course is set for the things above. That are above. Beginning in verse 1, the ESV uses the word if at the beginning of our passage, um, though it might be better translated as therefore because it serves the same purpose. It's calling us to think about the connection to the previous statements. So as we're thinking through chapter 2 and all of the truths that we've been saturated in so far, we might recall that in chapter 2, verse 13 and 15, we were told that we have been buried with Christ in baptism. We have been raised with him through faith to a new life. We were once dead in our sin and in the flesh, and God has made us alive together with Christ and in Christ. We share in the resurrection of our Lord. Our sins were forgiven. Remember, the record of debt that was held against us, that thing has been canceled. They were nailed to the cross with Christ. And finally, no rulers, no authorities, nothing natural or supernatural can hold any accusations against us because God has put them to open shame on the cross. 
Paul summarizes this uh, thought in chapter 2, verse 20, when he says, If with Christ you have died to the elemental spirits of this world, why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Christians, a change occurred in the life of the Colossians. Paul points that out, and he points out that a change has occurred in every believer in this room that belongs to Jesus. We are required to act in accordance with that change. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, or 28, Paul gave us his mission. He says he wants to, pr uh, to present every Christian mature in Christ. And he told us his method. He does so by warning and teaching. Now, he gave us a proper warning in chapter 2 to keep our head on a swivel. And now in chapter 3, he's going to teach us this radical outlook of what it looks like to be restored to right standing with God. What does it look like? He said it in verse 1 through 4. If you've been raised with Christ, seek, look for, desire the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, he says. Set your mind, think on, find understanding in, have the inner disposition of a person that considers the things that are above, not the things on this earth. And he says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Consider that when it says to seek and when it says, set your mind, he is writing that in the present tense, which means you are to keep seeking, keep desiring, do it now, keep up a dis disposition constantly of setting our minds and focusing on the things that are above. It is not a one-time action. It's a lifetime action. Paul's about to explain what the things that are above are, and so we'll get to that in a moment. But before we do that, we really have to understand the reality of why we ought to live this way. See, Paul has been desperate throughout this whole letter for us to understand, church, there is a reason we're supposed to be different. Who is ultimately the catalyst for change? The motivation, the example, the objective of change in our lives. Paul says it's Christ. And that shouldn't be a surprise because the whole central focus of this letter has been who he is. And here in chapter three, it comes to full bloom. Paul presents for us four reasons that we are to seek what is above. Let's talk about those reasons for a second. It's worth it. You are to seek the things that are above church because you have died and you have been raised with Christ. You've died. You've been raised with Christ. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave his life for me. Now, some people might look at Paul there when he's talking, they'd say, he, he's crazy. He doesn't even understand what he's saying. Man, he's crucified with Christ. Christ is the one that's living, but he also lives. And it's like, what is he talking about here? Church, he's, he's just reiterating in a different way exactly what he said in Colossians chapter 2. He's saying there was an old self that was separated from God, that was destined for eternal separation from God, that Christ rescued on the cross. And so in Christ, being given a new spirit and a new heart, he lives now... According to that faith, in all things, a new creation. 
in all things made to obey because of what God has done. We're also supposed to seek the things that are above because, listen, Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father in power. Man, the language there is supposed to draw our minds to Psalm chapter, or excuse me, Psalm 110, verse 1, where it says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. It is accomplished in Christ. Jesus accomplished what he promised to do in Luke chapter 22, verse 69, where he said, But from now on the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of God in power. Jesus has affirmed the vision that Stephen had in Acts chapter 7, verse 56, when he looked up and he saw Jesus standing in his place of authority at the right hand of the Father. And Jesus is absolutely victorious, subjecting all creation to himself and sits affirmed at the right hand of the Father. It says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22, that he has gone into heaven and sits at the right hand of God with the angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Church, we pursue righteousness, the things that are above, because we are informed by where Jesus resides even now. We seek the things that are above because your life is with Christ, even now. (laughs) Okay, multifaceted statements. We're about to do three truths within four truths within three truths. I'm sorry, but we have to do it. Look, Look at this. When your life is with Christ, you have life in common with the Father and the Son. He who joined the Lord or is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. And because of the promises of Christ, you have become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires, according to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. And so, Christian, in Christ, you are experiencing the nature of Jesus. Every day, more and more, experiencing his perfection through the Spirit, experiencing the character of God the Father that we were unable to do until the moment that God reconciled himself to us. Your life is hidden means that Christ has concealed that life from the world, the world that rejects and despises and misunderstands you. Your life is hidden from the world, Christian, and that should make total sense because the world thinks we're crazy. When we talk about the things of the Lord, they have no understanding what we're talking about. And instead of being discouraged by that, what we can do is when we see that, we can see it as the affirmation that we are not strange, but God is making us holy and whole and different from the rest of the world in a way that they can so obviously see that we stand out from them. Christian, your life is hidden with Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ certainly means that you are secure in Christ. And that one, man, as we are living a life now, we have eyes fully on the day in which we will be in his presence. As we are living with a mindset now to obey him, we are always mindful that he has not yet accomplished in our physical state what he will do in the end. Is this not the reason we rejoice for our brothers and sisters that pass away? 
every single time we can celebrate when a brother or sister in Christ goes to be with the Lord because we have confidence that they're struggling and their race is over and their life which was once hidden with Christ is now fully realized in the presence of Christ in the same way that every single saint in this room will one day experience that type of glory. Amen? Do you see what I'm talking about here? Our lives are hidden in Christ. That was worth talking about for a second. The final thing is that as we seek the things that are above, we all now await the day that Christ will fulfill his promise that he will return. When Christ, who is your life now, appears in the future, then you also will appear with him in glory. Church, you know what it means when he says, behold, I am coming soon. We cherish that in our hearts as we take steps even now to actively seek him, to know him, to be fully aware of what he has done. We do it because we anticipate the work that he will ultimately do, that he has promised and he will fulfill. Every Christian in this room will share in the glory of the Son of God along with all of his people. Christ is the point, church. Paul wants us to know that definitively. Christ is the point because of His freeing of us, we are now free to seek and to set our minds on the things that are above. No work can be done for Christ without knowing this. No change can happen in us until we acknowledge this truth in our hearts. And so, church, let me ask you, do you today have a mentality grounded in a reality already with Christ in the future? Would others see the hopeful pursuit of righteousness in your life as a default and say that that is a person whose mind is set, whose disposition is clear, even as they struggle and experience tragedy in this life? And do you desire the things that are above? If you don't, today is a really great time to evaluate that and set a new course. If you do, and you're wondering, well, then what are the things that are above so that, so that I can pursue after those things? Well, good news. Paul defines them, doesn't he? This is how we can talk about it, right? Let's start today by, by defining the things that Paul says are the things that are above. This leads us to our second point. Your course is set for the things that are above, so put away the old. Okay? Your course is set for the things that are above, so put away the old. It says in verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these things you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, malice, wrath, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to each other, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek. No Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and he is in all. Okay, so first things first, let's acknowledge as we're heading into the lists, 
section that many of these types of lists exist, exist in scripture, okay? And uh, so much so, uh, so many parallels are shared, for example, with this one and other passages that it has led the church to believe that perhaps these represent the early Christians' teachings that they would instill in both the old and the new Christian as a type of catechism to root the church in the truth. Now, you might ask, why does that matter? Why did I really need to know that, Ben? Well, the answer lies in what we have already covered. Christians, we are not the first group to have ethical lists There have been over the course of history, and there continue to be to this day religions and groups of people that create lists much like these. But what separates the people in this room who belong to the Lord is that we approach every single list we see in Scripture with very specific motivations. It says in verse 6 and 7, on account of these sins, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. Christians, the things on Paul's list, they're not just something we live with. Man, as we were reading through this, I know that some of us got nervous. Some of us were wondering what we were going to be talking about today. Sexual sin, impure minds, unnatural passions, desires to seek after, uh, the warping of God's design for our bodies, our greed the ruthless desire for both people and material wealth, the things that we're pursuing after that we know are forbidden, they're poison. We know that. It says that God's going to come and judge the world because of it. It's the reason that Christ was on the cross. And Paul says, that's not who you are anymore. This is a wake-up call for some of us still dabbling in things like pornography or office flirtation, um, extramarital gratification, all of the things that Christ warned us is not um, just going to give or not just going to be us committing adultery but having adulterous hearts. And notice while just in verse 5 we were talking about vices that seem to be centered on sexual sin— Even so, for the rest of us that think we have a handle of that thing in our lives, look at what he points out for the rest of us to chew on. He says, don't be angry. Settled anger, simmering anger, anger that we hold against one another. Don't rage, passionate outbursts. Don't be prone to those things. Don't have malice, which means badness and not in a cool way. Don't slander. Don't lie and discredit other people. Listen, don't have obscene talk from your mouth. Oh, snap. People in this room, the way that we talk to one another, have we considered that in Christ it matters? It says lying. And that one was singled out, church. Why? Many people think it's because along with gossip, Lying remains to be the most frequently excused and yet manifested sin in the church. Paul says, seek and set your mind on the things above to put those things to death, to put them away. And on the surface, we ask ourselves, is Paul overreacting here? Doesn't that seem a wee bit violent? Put to death what is earthly in you? 
And yet we know as we meditate on this passage that the truth is it's meant to draw our minds to the radical and daily commitment that church, it's, it's required of us to undertake in our lives in order to be mature in Christ, in order to honor him. If these things are allowed to fester in us, if as we are convicted by them, we do not actively pursue putting them to death, they will control us. They will they will prevent our ability to be presented mature before Christ. We've been given a new way, according to verse 10. We have a new mindset. According to verse 11, we have new borders, a new vision for the world around us that's not defined by our culture or our economic status or our social parameters. No, in Christ, those things that have divided us have been undone. They have been brought to a fuller understanding of the picture of all the nations of the world, every tribe and every color and every tongue filling the throne room of heaven and declaring the Son of Man to be King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the people that we are in Christ. It's Christ, he says. Christ is all and is in all. His spirit resides within us and he defines what normal looks like. He decides what is acceptable to us. And so for us to sin and to continue without remorse and without struggle in our lives, Paul says, is unacceptable. To know Jesus is in you and to know the cost that it took to make that the case is to remember every single day and to choose continually to respond to his spirit's command to orient and reorient and reorient your minds again and again and again to put to death the sins that we will battle with until the very end. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 35, by, all, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Church, we spit in the face of Christ's love when we choose to remain in sin, when we choose to allow sin to manifest in unloving behavior towards God and towards his people and towards this World. And so Paul challenges us today to consider what it really means when we say Christ is all. Christ is all. Consider every idol of sin that's still creeping around in the recesses of your heart and say, do I have an anger problem? Am I excusing away my outburst by saying that is just my nature, it's my personality? Am I covering up my browser history or deleting those old text messages, hoping that my spouse or my parents won't see what I've been up to? Do I harbor resentment against Christians that I am res refusing to let go? Am I letting my tongue get away from me constantly to slander and to gossip and to lie and to profane the word of God to make much of myself? And to ignore the proddings of the Holy Spirit. And are my eyes lingering just a little bit too long on the things I know in my heart are not of the Lord? Christian, are you putting to death sin in your life today? It matters whether you're 16 or 60. It matters. There's still work to do. So let's talk about that final part of the equation, moving lightning fast. It says, your course is set for the things that are above, so put away the old, 
And point three, and be like Jesus. Put away the old and be like Jesus. Put on then, verse 12, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all, put the, or above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness to God, or in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. As I'm reading this, I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31. Paul uh, launches into this prolific discussion of love, doesn't he? We, every single wedding, we got to pull that. Love is patient. Love is kind. We're just, we're just feeling all gooey inside. It's so wonderful. Listen, before he did that, he talked a lot, a lot about putting away some things that were unhealthy in the church. And this is what he said to them. He said, listen to me. I will show you still a more excellent way. It's love. And man, when we look at that and we see that statement and we really understand it, what we do is we fall in love with Paul. We, um, we love the care that he has for the people of God um, to show them what better looks like, to not just correct them, but to enter into where they're at, right? But see, isn't it true that that kind of shepherding heart did not originate with Paul? All we have to do is look at his history and we'd understand that that is the case. And yet, what we see is that that is a radical behavior that Paul himself learned from who? From Jesus. He learned it from Jesus. Paul's mentality was always this. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he said, Follow me as I follow Christ. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And Christians, that's a really important point to stew on as we tackle a list like this. Because the truth is, as we look at verses 12 to 17, and we look at the perfection of this passage, we might be driven to do one of two things. See, one, we might be crushed by the impossible standard that Paul seems to be putting out there and condemn ourselves because of it. Or, even worse, we might manage one of those things and we'll say in our hearts, aren't we awesome? Shouldn't we attribute victory based on our own actions? Christians, that's who we are. Let's be honest. And so as we head into this final section, it is so important that we look at this list through a much different lens. We have to take a little short break and observe something very special that Paul does here. And I did it through an illustration. This is going to be fun. I have two photographs, and I'd like you to throw the first one up. All right, check this out. I got my little, do I have my pointer? This, this is deserving of a pointer. All right, check this out. This is me, okay? This is my son, Jedediah, a while ago. And uh, look how, you know, I got a cup. He's got a cup, okay? He sees the cup, full eye contact here, all right? And then he's going to, you don't see this, but he's going to look back and he's going to see me, okay? And based on the, what his dad was doing, this is what happens. Move on to that next photo. Check that out. 100%. 
What did he do, church? He saw his dad. He loves his papa. And he knows he can trust his dad. And dad's looking like a fool, just being goofy. And so what does he do? He turns to the camera and he does the exact same thing that I did. Church, Paul hasn't given us a to-do list. He's given us a photograph of Jesus. A picture to observe and to take in and to memorize and to fall in love with and to emulate and to seek to go after as we're leading in our households and we're raising our children and we're forging out our destinies in the workplace and we're representing Jesus in a lost world that desperately needs that photograph as much as we do. Look at what it says in verse 12. Through that lens, we can understand Jesus is God's holy one. He is God's chosen one, set apart and beloved. We're able to show compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. We are able to bear with one another and to forgive each other. We are enabled to put love first and to be bound together as a result. We're able to possess the peace of Christ, which is the knowledge of his grace that overrides our fleshly hearts. We're able to be thankful and to teach and to admonish and to possess God's wisdom and to sing and to praise in our hearts and to serve him. We are able to do these things because he did them first. He showed the fullness of these things in his life, in every way. And he exampled them to us meticulously in every good work. We have the photograph of our Lord to cling to in life that is written on every single page of the New Testament. It's, it's strewn throughout every deed that is recorded by God in Scripture. Do you want to know what it looks like to have a compassionate heart, church? Look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. It says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Do you want to know what the picture of kindness looks like and to understand it? Maybe look at Luke chapter 6, verse 35, where Jesus told lost people, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Would you like to know how to be humble Maybe you could look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, where it says that Jesus, the God-man, worthy of all honor and glory, who could have come like a raging storm or rushing wind or terrible fire, entered into, instead, creation in the form of a meek and poor man and says to his people, come to me, all who are labored and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Church, was Jesus not gentle with Nicodemus? Was he not as gentle with Nicodemus as he was with Matthew or Zacchaeus or the woman at the well? Was Jesus not overwhelmingly patient with the people around him, struggling to figure out who he was or trying to understand his teachings, or maybe even just utterly rejecting him because of the things he was saying? 
Do you see what I'm saying, church? It says to bear with one another means to endure, to hold out in spite of persecution, threats, injury, indifference, complaints, and choose not to retaliate. Can you think of Jesus on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus forgave so that we could forgive. He loved so that we would know what the love that can never be taken away from us looks like. Jesus binds us together with his creator hands and he shows us what perfect teaching, perfect wisdom, perfect thankfulness looks like. And so look to Christ, church, and follow him. Paul says we got to put away sin and we got to put on Christ. We need to choose to be like Christ. And so when our passage today tells us that we are God's chosen ones, we are set apart and holy, we are beloved by God, we're forgiven and given a family, we've been given peace with God in Christ, given his words and wisdom and a new heart within us, all of it, all of it, these indicatives of the gospel help us to understand how we are to obey the commands of God and allow them to rule and reign over our hearts every single day. Commands that bless us and the, the same commands that we are commanded to share so that that same blessing might be known to the rest of the world. This is what it means when John says in chapter 1, verse 16 of his gospel, for from his fullness we have received grace upon grace, unending grace, the bigger grace that replaced the last grace. Church, you have experienced the fullness of Christ. It leads you to see the sin in your life and to identify it and to drive it out of your life step by step for good. Is that a reality for you today? Do you have a picture of Christ in your mind that shows you what it looks like to love in a way that binds our church together? Has there been radical change in your life that Jesus did by his work on the cross that has led you to seek and desire and to set your mind on the things that are above? Over the next few weeks, we're going to try and understand what it looks like to lead in our homes and to love a lost world, but it will not be able to happen if the glorious work of God to rescue you and change you has not already occurred. And so if you are in this room today and you have not acknowledged that you are a sinner in need of a savior, that Jesus is the Messiah, he is God, his death on the cross is more than sufficient to save you, that by God's grace through faith in Christ you have been offered the opportunity to not only be saved but to enter into the joy of that salvation, then we implore that you seek the truth even today, that you speak with the people in this room who have already received that hope just so that you can know the conviction that the Spirit is working in your heart even now. And church, if you're struggling, if you're struggling to set your mind on the things that are above, if you belong to him and you have the full assurance that you belong to him, if you belong to him, 
but you're struggling to set your mind on the things that are above, to put to death sin in your life, then we implore you as a body to absorb the wisdom of Christ, to enter into the community and the study of God's word that enables that, that tells you that God's blessings, God's commands are not a chore, they are a blessing. You have been freed to look and act like the one who has liberated you from your sin. And that same word will also show you that you should not be striving for obedience in isolation. It would be wrong to take away from today that you are not to look around at all the saints in this room. You're not to take personal inventory and say, where can I find accountability in my life to learn and to grow in every single one of these areas? that God has spoken into our lives today through the Apostle Paul. Everyone in this room should know who is pouring into them. Everyone in this room should know the people that they are actively pursuing in the name of Christ. If that is not the case, we must make that the case. We need accountability buddies. Church, your course is set for the things that are above. And so... Put away the old and be like Jesus. He enables us to do that together. So let's commit as we move forward to do that together. Christ is all. Christ is all. Christ is all. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you uh, for who you are and for what you've done. Thank you for the truth of your word that, that saturates our hearts and creates this type of radical change. Lord, your commands are not condemning. They are a blessing. God, it is a blessing to see the example of your son, Jesus, and to seek every single day to put to death the idols that are in our lives and to seek after what is the example of our Lord. Jesus, we need your help Fill us with your spirit. Show us the places in which things have ruled over our hearts that are not you. And God, by your power, would you tear them away? Would you help us to cry out to, to older saints in the room just to speak into it, Lord, to help us because we need your help. And Lord, we pray for everyone in this room that does not know you, that has not experienced the radical change brought on by the gospel. Would you change hearts even today? to show convincingly by the power of your spirit that convicts according to sin and righteousness and judgment, would you allow us to understand that you are, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life? And God, I pray that as we go forth together as a church, would you allow us to make much of you in all that we do? We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.